Here's a drive to deep left field. Bradley back, jumps, and it is gone. The first home run for the Toronto Blue Jays this season comes off the bat of Bo Bichette to make it a 9-5 game. Hey, what's going on? It's at the letters for Tuesday, April 4th. Arden Zwelling and Ben Nicholson-Smith. Thanks, as always, to our producers, Christian Ryan uh, on the audio side and Nick Andrade on the video side. And Ben, we are both in Kansas City, and we both were at Kauffman Stadium on Monday night to witness uh, the Toronto Blue Jays' third loss of the year as they dropped to one and three thanks to the achilles heel of this team that we all identified in spring training starting pitching yeah exactly line up five former all-stars in your starting rotation and then just watch it crumble it has been pretty rough uh to start this season for the blue jays with their rotation it really has and you know i think there's probably some room to dive into bassett to dive into barrios we're about to see Yusei Kikuchi, the stopper pitch for the Jays uh, on Tuesday here. <laughs> right. So we'll see. We'll see how that unfolds with Manoa. I, I don't know. Like to me, I don't have a lot to say about Manoa. I just I think his stuff actually looked really good in the opener. And I, I think of all the pitchers in this rotation, he and Kevin Gosman obviously deserve the most leeway. So but I do have a lot to say about Perios and, and Bassett. <laughs> Well, let's start with Brios because we just watched it uh, on Monday night. And like you said, we haven't seen Yusei Kikuchi's results yet. We're recording this on Tuesday before game two of the Royals series. So as you're listening to this, you will know uh, whether Yusei Kikuchi is uh, all of a sudden like Cy Young Robbie Ray or uh, still an unmitigated disaster or somewhere in between. Ben and I are completely ignorant of that. And I think, Ben, you probably share my opinion in that I do not know what to expect from him in this outing. So we'll kind of put that aside and talk about Jose Barrios on Monday. Trying to start 2023 on a better foot. Results looked a lot like 2022. Oh, yeah, they sure did. I mean, looking at the numbers for this start, it was eight runs, nine hits, and 10 batted balls of 100 miles an hour or more. And that is just not a combination you ever want to see for a pitcher on your team. And, you know, looking back at some of the footage from this game because I, you know, I was kind of intrigued. Like, was he tipping? Um, he does a lot of stomping on the mound. You know, what's going on there? And um, couldn't see anything on that front. But uh, I did notice that the Royals were capitalizing on the pitches he left over the plate. And there were a lot of those, especially the lefties. And there are a lot of those against Barrios, who struggled against lefties last year and is going to continue to see a lot of lefties. So if you're making mistakes over the plate to lefties, that's going to be problematic. But even some of the good pitches that he was making, you know, breaking balls below the zone, they were hitting those. Vinny Pasquantino with a double down the line on a pitch that was pretty good pitch, you know, 10 inches off the ground, he goes down and gets it. So it's a bad combination. And honestly, it's not what you expect from the Royals, right? Like this is a bad offense, a winless team, <laughs> last place team last year in a big park with a good outfield defense behind you. If there's ever a time to have Jose Barrios bounce back, this should have been it. Yeah, there was a couple, and I think of Bobby Witt as well, where it was like, all right, good piece of hitting, right? And what not a lot Jose Brios can do about that. But there was also a couple, as you indicated, where I said, oh, hey, there's the four-seam fastball to a lefty in a bad spot. 
And there's also the front hip two-seamer to a lefty that Barrios is trying to land, and he is just not getting it front hip enough, like just not getting it onto the inside part of the plate enough, and it's bleeding out over the heart where uh, big league hitters are going to do damage against it. It just seems like Barrios is working with such thin margins right now with with his fastball command. When he's to the edges, he's totally effective at the big league level and like the approach against lefties which to your point brios is going to see a ton of this year is front hip two seamers extension side uh and four seam fastballs away kind of you know off to you know away from those left-handed hitters and you can see it in the pitch chart that's what brios is trying to execute uh it was just every time that one of those pitches bled over the heart of the plate he really paid for it. And that's how last year lefties against Barrios's four seam fastball slugged 752, like Barry Bonds in his prime numbers, because too many of those four seamers were just left in really bad spots. And uh, it was 21 extra base hits off of it by lefties. And I think like 10 homers and pull up the heat map. And it's just like a big red dot right over the heart of the plate. So it, to me, it really does just come down to that fastball command and locating to the edges. Because as we saw in some of those innings that Barrios had on Monday night, when he's doing that, he's still effective. Yeah, he he still can be effective, but it's still one of those starts where you see, and the changeup too, which should be a weapon against lefties, and and has been historically a really good pitch for Barrios. If he's leaving the changeup up, then he's really got to locate his fastball because hitters are going to be sitting on it if he can't locate his changeup, and it just sort of spirals, and we did see that. So I, I don't know. You know, the stuff is kind of where you'd expect it to be. It's not like it's not moving. There were moments where he would locate it well, 92 to 95, which is what you expect. But big picture, this is continuing to be a concern. And I I don't think, you know, I I don't want to be overly dramatic and say that this is like, you know, crisis mode or anything like that. Don't even really want to think about 2028, which is the last year of that contract. I mean, this is clearly at this point, that contract doesn't look good for the Jays. I mean, that's, that's stating the obvious right now. But more to the point, the 2023 team needs to figure out what to do. And Barrios is a big part of this 2023 team and still can be an effective part of this team. You know, once he kind of has the chance to look at the video of Pete Walker and the Blue Jays pitching people in in anticipation of his next start against the Angels, there's still stuff to work with here. There's still building blocks that you can try to tinker with. But I mean, I I don't know. What's your level of concern here with Barrios, Arden? 2028, that's my level of concern. Is that a real year? (laughs) Are yeah. we going to live to 2028? What? That doesn't even, that sounds like fantastical and made up to me. But yeah, look, it's a seven year deal at $131 million. And the way that Jose Brios has been performing to this point, there's no reason to expect he's going to take the opt out that he has in there unless things change in a very dramatic way. Um, and you kind of have to like pull out from a, a Blue Jays lens and where you, you know, as close as we are to the team and even just fans who watch the Blue Jays all the time. They see the reason to believe that Jose Brios can recapture what allowed him to be like a 374 ERA guy over the half decade prior to arriving in Toronto or prior to uh, the 2022 season, at least. I mean, one of the most consistent and effective and durable starters in baseball, like not ace-level Scherzer DeGrom type of thing, Verlander, whoever, um, but one of the better number twos across the league. Like That's why he got 
that extension that he did. So you see those reasons why when you're as close to it as you are. But then like if you just kind of shift your perspective and you think, well, say like the Blue Jays had this developed starter who had been like really remarkably consistent and durable over a half decade and they traded him when he was like a year and a half from free agency and got a couple prospects for him and then you watched him with that other team that the Blue Jays had traded him to go out and have like a five five and a half ERA over a really large sample since you had traded him like we're now talking about 40 to 50 starts since and everyone would be applauding the blue jays front office and saying wow like what a great move getting off of him when you did like what great foresight like way to make a move that would be unpopular in the moment trading that guy homegrown and as good as he had been at his age too super unpopular move when you make it and then being proven right over time by seeing the way that the results turn blue jays fans would be saying wow remarkable that this front office turned him into a a couple of prospects at the perfect time and and i still think looking back at the trade nothing wrong with that trade i mean in 2021 that was a big splash they was seen as a very aggressive move at the time they part with austin martin simeon woods richardson um you know again that was a team that needed pitching um and certainly benefited from barrios in 2021 even further you look at what those guys are doing, Martin and, and Woods Richardson. I don't think you're missing those guys too much at this point. And look, the extension made sense to me at the time. I certainly thought it was a good move at the time. But, you know, I, I'm a podcaster, right? Like, I don't have the same resources or responsibilities or any of those <laughs> things that the Blue Jays have. It's, you know, it's a totally different game. They are the ones tasked with making the decision as to whether that's a good call. And they decided it was a good call. Right now, it's not looking like one, but. There's a lot of time until 2028 for Burrios to turn that around or uh, take it in totally different directions. We'll see where it goes. Yeah, it should be said that like Austin Martin's prospect stock has uh, plummeted uh, since the Blue Jays traded him. So, you know, the, to be fair to the Blue Jays, they also traded Austin Martin that it seems like the perfect time. Yep. And uh, Simeon Woods Richardson, like we'll see, right, made his Twins debut at the end of uh, 2022. He's starting this year in the minors, but like the numbers at the high minors have, have been pretty good in, in AAA. So we'll see what he becomes. Uh, Martin actually, I think, is hurt. I think he had a UCL thing in spring so he's not even playing right now so we'll see what the numbers look like when he returns and what the power looks like and when he makes his big league debut and where he fits defensively like there's so many question marks with him so it's too early to evaluate this trade like in totality and sit back and say like this side won or you know this is a good trade for the twins or a good trade for the jays it could also be a good trade for both it could also be a bad trade for both you see a lot of trades that end up being <laughs> bad trades for both sides where nobody wins we always think it's this binary thing where there's a winner and a loser in each trade there's a ton of trades that are just like nobody won this like these none of these players really ended up being exceptional after they were traded so we'll see but i mean the early returns there is there is no arguing with yeah, and, and I think my last sort of take on Barrios at this point is basically you look at him right now, he's clearly an, an intriguing major league pitcher with all kinds of skills and athleticism and good pitches and experience and every team in baseball would want Jose Barrios on their staff. Let's not lose sight of that. This is a major league pitcher, major league starting pitcher. This is someone that can help a good major league team win. So 30 for 30 would want him. I think also zero for 30 would want him through 2028 on a $131 million deal. So that's the spot the Blue Jays are in. 
Yeah, you got to hope that some of that money gets back above water because uh, right yeah. now it's looking, uh, you know, to be beneath sea level just uh, considering the earlier turns. But yeah, like you said, still, you know, relatively young Brios is like a lot of time left in this game and, and a lot of different things can happen. Baseball can change on a dime. Like if we were having this conversation on the Blue Jays trade for Jose Brios, it would be holy smokes. Pencil this guy in pen, this guy in permanent marker him in for 30 starts of like a 3.7 ERA because that's all that he's done yeah. for half a decade. Um, Chris Bassett at a very different point in his career, uh, mid thirties guy, and you know Blue Jays are uh, in the Chris Bassett business for for the next three years at uh, you know what was it sixty two million dollars over three, maybe sixty three million dollars. Also had like a blow up outing uh, the other night. Uh, against the St. Louis Cardinals, who are a really good lineup, and I think you found that out the hard way. Um, how much of that was the Cardinals being good? How much of that was Chris Bassett not being himself? Well, the Cardinals are really good, and if you have Brendan Donovan coming out and actually flashing a lot of power, like you've got Tommy Edmond hitting ninth, this is a really good lineup. At the same time, Chris Bassett is supposed to be a really good pitcher who can handle these lineups, and historically he has been that. So you would definitely expect a better result than what Bassett showed. And, you know, it's a long season. This, you know, four games in, right? As we record this, the Jays are just a fraction of the way through their schedule. And, of course, every team in baseball is going to have four-game stretches where they look bad. Every pitcher is entitled to a bad start. That's worth saying. Uh, the Phillies are 0-4 as we record this. The Mariners are like 1-4. There are a lot of good teams out there that are off to a bad start. And I don't think anyone in Toronto is totally reassessing whether the Mariners or the Phillies are a good team, nor are people in Seattle looking at the Jays and thinking that they are you know, doomed to fail. It's just, it's so early. But with Bassett, the one thing that I do point to is you know, early in spring when he was pitching with diminished velocity, who cares? It's spring. But it counts now, and he's down more than a mile per hour. Not a huge drop-off, but every mile per hour counts, and it's not good. You don't want to see that. So that's something to watch carefully. Again, not time to panic, but I guarantee behind closed doors, the Jays are aware of that. Guarantee they don't like that trend line. And so, you know, as as we observe and and kind of track this storyline, that's something to watch. Absolutely. Chris Bassett hit 93 twice in that outing. Like, that's where he topped out. Uh, you give him a third if you want to round up the 92.6 on a, a four-seamer that he threw Goldschmidt. But I, so give him that one. That's three pitches at 93. Everything else was was diminished. The sinker averaged uh, 91. The four-seamer averaged 92. I mean, this is just well below where Chris Bassett has pitched in the past. And during spring, I think you take a guy like Chris Bassett, who uh, is very meticulous and very fastidious and knows exactly what he's doing at his word when he says, look, I'm building up slowly in spring training. I'm pitching purposefully with diminished velocity. I've done this like, I don't know, 15, 16 times before as a professional. I know how to get myself ready for a big league season. I'm not trying to light up the radar gun here in Florida in March. I'm trying to haul innings through summer and I'm trying to be available to be on a postseason mound in October. So you take him at his word at that point. And you even give him like a mulligan the first start of the year it's cold in st louis it's his first time out he's like working with all kinds of new stuff and variables and you can look back at first starts of the year for bassett in prior years velocity diminished as well but going forward you're going to want to see that velocity coming back and you're going to want to see chris bassett throwing harder and i don't know if it's down again in start two i don't know if like you need to 
panic. Maybe the concern turns up a, a little bit, but as he gets into his season here, second, third, fourth, fifth outing of the year, you want to see that velocity coming back, not only because like that's a sign you want to see from the starting pitcher, but also because it appears, as we saw against the Cardinals, that he needs it to be effective if he's going to be executing in the parts of the zone that he was against St. Louis. Yeah, exactly. And I think Chris Bassett, I, I think it's safe to describe him as a as a pitcher's pitcher, as a finesse pitcher in a lot of ways. Same thing you can say about a lot of guys in in the league, like a Johnny Cueto or a Zach Greinke. He's a real pitcher. Now, the thing with those guys is, and it's going to be fun, we're actually going to see Greinke tomorrow. Greinke against Manoa should be a great matchup. Can't wait. Yeah, it'll, it's an awesome, awesome matchup. But the thing with Greinke is when he threw 96, when he was sitting 95, he was a lot better. Like, that's when he was winning the Cy Young. He's still an effective <laughs> major league pitcher now. He might go seven shutout against the Blue Jays. But I guarantee if you ask Zach Greinke, he would prefer to be able to touch 100. He would prefer to be able to sit 95, 96 the way he did when he was 23, 24 years old. So it's the same thing for all these pitchers. The more velocity you have, the more room for error you have. And if Chris Bassett loses a mile per hour, I have no doubt that he can still be an effective major league pitcher. I've seen the Zips projections. I know I've seen the, you know, Fangrass article. He's a bus candidate, all this stuff. Yeah, that's the nature of pitching. They're all kind of bus candidates at a certain point. And that applies to Chris Bassett. I still think he's lined up to have a good year, but I'd be a lot more confident saying that if he's sitting 93 as opposed to sitting, you know, 91-8. Yeah, I just think that it was the velocity in that outing and it was the execution, honestly. I think when Chris Bassett looks back at it, he won't love some of the locations they left pitches in. And credit to the Cardinals as well for like having a really good game plan against them. They were super aggressive. Like they were ambushing Bassett right from the jump right i mean two of his first three pitches were hit over the walls so a really yeah. good lineup with a really good game plan against a pitcher with somewhat diminished stuff who wasn't executing as finely as he'd like to yeah at this level <laughs> the big leagues that's how you end up with an outing where there's super crooked numbers being put up on the board um the thing about chris bassett like this is a guy who his entire career has been making adjustments has been kind of reinventing himself and changing what he does on the mound and reaching deep into that repertoire so it's gonna be an early test of that and his ability to adjust between outings i'm really fascinated to see what he looks like his next time out um and how he's pitching and, and how things go one thing that i think you'll continue to see is him calling his own game on yep. the mound and that's another thing that i don't think is an issue and i don't think was behind this i kind of think that people forget that pitchers have always called their own games chris passett in particular but like through the entire history of the sport pitchers are calling their own games because it's their say they can shake off what the catcher recommends this isn't like ncaa baseball where you're getting signs coming in from the dugout the the catcher makes like a recommendation essentially and yes there are some pitchers who just follow what their catchers put down i remember i think marco Estrada was like that Mark Burley. But there are far more pitchers yeah, Mark Burley was like that. There are far more pitchers who will shake off and go to another pitch. Look at Chris Bassett last year. This guy was renowned for shaking and shaking and shaking. Like some of he was one of the slowest workers in baseball in 22 because he shook so often. Um, even beyond that, like pitchers 
prior to pitchcom technology had like physical cues that they would show to their catcher i've talked to pitchers about this and certain guys like if they had their mouth open when they got the return throw that meant let's go to breaking ball next or if they turned their head a certain way like that meant oh let's go you know with the fastball next or something they had sort of physical cues they would show their catcher just to speed up that process and call their own game from the mound so i really don't think that the pitchcom is behind chris bassett's issues right now i think that velocity execution and the quality of opposition is yeah i I agree with that assessment and i think you know it's going to take some time for him to gain that comfort level with the pitchcom device and that's true of a lot of pitchers in the game right now he's on that list it's not ideal I, i assume that with a greater level of comfort maybe that'll improve his results slightly but you know, I, I'm not going to attribute the, what was it, four home runs? How many home runs? I don't remember off the top of my head. It was at it was least three or four three. home runs. <laughs> yeah. So many, many home runs. Too many home runs. I'm not going to attribute that to pitch comp. Like at a certain point, you're delivering the pitch. You have to make sure the major league hitters are hitting it into the ground or missing it or popping it up. And Bassett was not able to do that. The last guy I want to talk about before we take a break is Kevin Gosman and just what you make of the Babbitt monster uh, continuing to hound him into uh, his first start of 2023. Well, you know, it sucks for Kevin Gosman. Not ideal for the Blue Jays. It's kind of like if you spent a year flipping a coin and it came up heads a lot more than tails, you assume it's going to even out the next year. But maybe your first flip of that year comes up heads anyway. And I think that's what happened to Kevin Gosman. What I've seen from this Blue Jays defense is they're better than what we saw in 2022, especially in the outfield. Kiermaier looks good. Springer looks good. Varsho cutting off balls in the corner. These are really good defensive outfielders. That's going to benefit him as they move ahead. So for one day, it didn't help. But I think that moving forward, we're going to see Kevin Gosman get better luck and better results. Yeah, of the four pitchers that we've seen so far start for the Blue Jays and none of them really having like the start that they would have liked uh, to, you know, varying degrees, but my concern level is the absolute lowest with Gosman of all yeah. of them based on what we saw. Like I just these outings are going to happen for him. It's the nature of his splitter. Uh the Blue Jays learned a lot last year about shifting and defensive deployment behind Gosman remember like how aggressively they were shifting him early in 2022 and that was part of the Blue Jays strategy and philosophy in 22 was like we're gonna really like buy into you know our philosophies defensively and the thing is you can't just like do that once and then not do the next time you have to do it over time so for the first several Kevin Gosman starts they shifted aggressively with him but the nature of the splitter is that it gets like a lot of unexpected contact it's uh you know he gets a lot of mishit balls that end up going places where like your model based on track records might not indicate and then the other thing with gosman is that hitters swinging down at that splitter and guarding against that then miss hit fastballs up in the zone as well and those don't go places that you would expect them to either so um i think that for exactly the reason you cited for the improved defense behind gosman that like he's gonna have much better numbers this year and i think that you look at the quality of stuff that he threw in that first outing getting whiffs with all three pitches and even like go back to spring training and and the quality of stuff that he was throwing there i have a lot of confidence that kevin gosman's going to be really really good this year results of his first outing notwithstanding 
Swing and a miss, and Gosman strikes Arenado out. The strand of base runner, scoreless at the end of one. Yeah, the absolute best combination for a pitcher is to have nasty stuff that you can put where you want, and Kevin Gosman has that combination, so he's going to be really good this year. No kidding. Uh, let's step away, but when we come back, uh, we should talk offense with this club because uh, while there's been lots of intrigue on the pitching side, uh, the Blue Jays seem to be a very different offensive team through the first four games. So we're going to get into that and so much more, and we continue on At The Letters. Listen to At The Letters ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. It continues on at the letters, Arden Zwelling and Ben Nicholson-Smith. We are uh, both here in Kansas City covering off the Blue Jays' four-game set with uh, with the Royals this week. And uh, obviously want to thank our producers as well, uh, Christian Ryan and Nick Andrade. Always a heavier lift when Ben and I are on the road. So thanks so much to them. Thanks to you for listening. If you want to email us, it is at the letters at sportsnet.ca. Uh, so Ben, I think that we uh, really covered off the pitching concerns pretty thoroughly in the first half. Uh, any offensive concerns, lineup concerns, position player concerns beyond the fact that uh, the Blue Jays just uh, no longer hit home runs? Yeah, exactly. It took until the very end of Monday's game before they finally hit that home run. Bobachet the last of the 30 teams to connect for a home run, which is not what I would have guessed. But there you have it. They're going to hit a bunch more. So concern-wise, you know, honestly, not a ton. I think it's a really strong position player group. I think they're in a really good spot. But I'll toss a couple out here and see what you think. Uh, you know, the opener, Bo Bichette, looked a little tentative defensively. Not what we want to see uh, with the throw, errant throw, and, um, you know, another one that he was picked up on that wasn't scored an error. So... Not where the Jays want to see Bobachet beginning this season. It's obviously something that he has faced, uh, you know, some defensive struggles last year as well. I think at the same time, he can be a capable major league shortstop. So is it encouraging to see him start the year this way? No, but I think he can be a capable major league shortstop. I don't see that as a major concern. And the other one I'll toss out there, again, more a reality than a major concern certainly not something you're going to really change but the speed on the bases of Brandon Belt and Alejandro Kirk this is recency bias for sure because there were a couple plays on Monday that you see the ball hit into the outfield you think the runner scores and then you look down and Alejandro Kirk is pulling into third base Brandon Belt pulling into third base because they just don't have a lot of foot speed and the good thing about those guys is they're on base a lot and so they're going to be running around the bases a lot, but it's just not a lot of speed. That's not who they are. Uh, they're good players in spite of that. And I just happened to notice that on Monday. There were a couple times where you probably would have scored if you had an even, even an average runner out there. I'll build on those a little bit. Um, some of that is just things that you knew coming in, right? Like you knew Brandon Belt and Alejandro Kirk weren't going to be really quick coming into the season. So they, they've just kind of met my expectations. Uh, I think when it comes to Bichette at short, you're going to make your errors when you play every day at shortstop at the big league level. Like that's just something that's going to happen. Um, I think that, and this is based on just the play that I saw from him in the spring. We haven't seen a ton of it yet in the regular season, but in spring, I saw some pretty good athleticism from Bo um, and ranginess um, and just within this new sort of shift restricted world like there's a lot more room for Bo to kind of move laterally and I 
think that you're going to see him make some impressive plays in that vein. I think the key for him is just like it's the gambler's thing, like not chasing um, good money with bad. So like if you make the rangy play, if you get deep into the hole, if you get to a ball, but you have no shot of getting the runner at first, you just can't throw that ball. Like you can't let a guy get to second. Just let them be at first. Don't try to make plays. They're just like clearly outside of like, reality honestly like, like plays that just aren't going to be made um so that is just something with the throwing arm that i think that Bo is just gonna have to be like cognizant of if he takes those ones away uh i think that that'll just uh, allow him to be like a totally fine competent average major league shortstop like i don't think that he's going to be world beating defensively i think that's unrealistic but i think that like if he just doesn't get in his own way too much he can be perfectly playable as a shortstop. I to just continue building with with Kirk as well, who you mentioned behind the plate, starting to have some um, concerns on my end. And I talked about it last week coming into the season about how like defensively the Blue Jays um, at the catching position, I was like a little concerned about coming in. And now just having seen the throwing arm from Alejandro Kirk a little bit, having kind of seen the way that he's sort of receiving and transferring, having seen the increase in stolen base attempts across baseball. And it's something that hasn't really hit the Blue Jays yet to this point but like trust me it's coming like teams are going to start identifying this and trying to exploit it against the blue jays uh i do think that controlling the running game is is an area where we're going to have to look at alejandro kirk a bit closer this year and just kind of see how how that's going because the results so far have not been great and i would expect the teams are going to start really challenging the jays in that area a lot more going forward so far over five for the blue jays when it comes to catching base stealers, base stealing attempts. And if you're an opposing team, especially a team like the Royals, Bobby Wood Jr. can fly. Nicky Lopez moves pretty well out there. So if you're Kansas City, probably not going to outslug the Blue Jays um, most nights. So that's a perfect example where test those guys. See, make them make a play and put some pressure on them. So I, I think if you're an opposing pro scout watching the Toronto Blue Jays right now, that would be part of the message. And then it will be on them to respond and to to prove to opposing teams that that's not a challenge you want to take but i think you know broadly just zooming out beyond the jays it's great seeing all the stolen base attempts uh seeing the new rules seeing batting average on balls and play go up love seeing that time of game is down uh certainly saw that in some of the games so far for the jays although not all and so i'm really liking these rules but it does require players like kirk to make some more adjustments yeah, because it's like the 80s all over again on the base pass. And we'll see like if this sustains, certainly through the first four or five days of the season like stolen base rates are through the roof like you're seeing you know over one and a half attempts per game close to one and a half like successful per game you're seeing the like the success rate being close to 85 percent that's a lot like that's high um so it's really like imperative on blue jays catchers to uh like kind of be on mind their p's and q's i don't know if that's going to be just 
more back picks. I don't know if that's going to be on the pitchers as well and some of their timing and varying it, really utilizing the full length of the pitch clock in order to like not let runners get really good jumps. Like I do think there is going to be an adjustment to come for the Blue Jays defensively when it comes to just controlling the running game because as you said, there are going to be teams that are looking at how things have played out to this point and targeting that as as an area of weakness. Yeah, so that's some stuff to build on, but I do have some positives to point to as well for this team in the course of their early games. And to me, it kind of starts with outfield defense where you look at Kevin Kiermeyer anchoring things in center field. And I think that it helps the rest of the outfield play up defensively. What I've seen from George Springer so far is really good. I think he's a plus right fielder. He gets great reads on balls. His arm seems healthier at this point, and he's able to move comfortably out there. Then you have Varsha when left. He's making really good decisions out there, putting his speed and arm to, to good use. So second and third as this ball is lifted to left center. Long run Varsho into deep left center, and he makes a spectacular diving catch. But Dalton Varsho just made a great catch out of deep left center. I just think overall this outfield unit looks a lot stronger, and that was expected, but probably for the Blue Jays, really reassuring to see. Yeah, and like talk about Dalton Varsho as well. I mean, who's got to be the best like secondary center fielder in the game? Like he's looked great in the outfield. Obviously, there was like you know kind of weird sun ball at, at one point there, but you know stuff like that happens. Like on kind of, you know, I, I just think that yeah, you're gonna see this over time where the Blue Jays outfield defense like really impacts their their run prevention in a meaningful way and we still haven't even seen like the spectacular Kevin Kiermeyer catch that is uh, going to be coming our way at some point maybe it's at Rogers Center where they've now got that like lowered wall in center field and he can reach up kind of over it but like Kiermeyer is a guy and he already did it with the sort of first to third on opening day that led to the um yeah kind of the game-winning run being scored in that like insane opening day heavyweight clash with the St. Louis Cardinals. Kiermaier is a guy who's going to do like three or four little things in this month of April like that that are going to, uh, I mean, he's just going to be instant fan favorite. Like when people see the way that this guy plays, the speed in the outfield, the the hits that he takes away, just wait until he like bunts for a double, you know, or wait until he hits like a a ground ball to the outfield that is a single for 99 out of 100 big leaguers. And he just, a, a defender is kind of laying off on it and doesn't aggressively charge it on it. And Kevin Kiermeyer at like 30 feet per second rounds first base and turns a single into a double. Just wait until he does stuff like that. Yeah, I, I love the hustle double as a play, especially if the player kind of lets up a little bit as he's rounding first base, and then you see the outfielder let up, false sense of security, boom, into second base. I mean, those plays are just electrifying. They're so fun to watch. And yeah, I think we'll see some of those from some of the good base runners on this team. Um, and that kind of brings to mind Kevin Biggio, who I, I think does look like a pleasant surprise so far. I mean, it's early, but He's getting on base and he's in competition, I guess you could say, with Whit Merrifield and Santiago Espinal at second base. And we're a long way from seeing an end to that competition or seeing a quote unquote resolution to how that situation plays out. But Biggio getting on base, that's a good situation for the Jays. And I think it will lead to more opportunities for him. 
all the Blue Jays are getting on base. Like this team's offensive approach through the first four games has been so, so encouraging from a one and three team as well. Like you think about this, the Blue Jays have been playing from behind essentially all season and they've had these huge deficits and holes that they've had to climb their way out of. They haven't gone out of their approach in doing that. They haven't just tried to hit five-run homers every time they're at the plate. You look at it like individual to individual in this lineup, and the Blue Jays are being discerning and patient. They are managing the strike zone. Through the first four games, they have the second-best chase rate in baseball, like the and that's so like the second lowest, essentially. Um, you know, like the third lowest swinging strike rate. Their contact rate is the second highest. I mean, they're not expanding. Um, and they're not getting out of their approach like this is something that they talked about all spring long um, that they wanted to like produce differently than just with the home run ball and they wanted to be a, a bit less all or nothing and I think that you're seeing that and some of this these process indicators like chase rates and strike rate contact rate things like that that's going to start providing dividends like there's going to be a game where the blue jays come through with like five homers and just boat race a team like that is coming very soon it could happen as as soon as tonight here on tuesday april the 4th as we record this in the morning because you you couple that as well with what the blue jays are doing when they get good pitches to hit and some of the exit velocities that we're seeing blue jays hitters to this point through april uh the games april 3rd they have five of the 20 hardest hit balls across MLB this season. So 25% of a quarter of the 20 hardest hit balls across MLB. And it's not just Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Matt Chapman is up there. Dalton Varsho set a new max exit velo at 112 and a half off a lefty. Are you kidding me? I mean, this is uh, this is really encouraging stuff from a process indicator standpoint. And I think that you're going to start seeing the results follow very soon. Agree completely. I mean, I think that it's a matter of days before we see, like maybe by the time people listen to this, they'll have had a big offensive game where they, like you said, they hit a bunch of homers, they score 12 runs, and there's a bit of relief, right? Because this is a starting pitching unit that probably could use a little bit of breathing room, and this offense is very capable of providing that. I think when you look up and down that lineup, we've seen a great approach from Springer. We all know about the power, but he seems to be really content to hit the ball where it's pitched and take a bunch of singles if that's what's coming his way work a tough at bat Bobachet continues we talked about it all spring continues having good at bats making really hard contact vladdy jr 100 mile an hour ball after 100 mile an hour ball off of his bat that's what we expect then you got kirk he just keeps hitting you know it's chapman is hitting really really well to start the season and I agree, you know, you look at it collectively, you look at the overall decisions that they're making, they are not pushing too much, they're not expanding too much, and that's going to lead to a lot of runs for this team. And so I think offensively at this point, when you have a healthy group, you have some depth, it's a great place to be. Um, I think they're well positioned to be a very, very good offensive team as they move ahead. Yeah, that new uh, Varsho Max Exavilo, that came off of Miles Michaelis, who's a righty. So I should correct myself there. It wasn't off a lefty. It was off Michaelis. But Varsho's actually looked pretty serviceable against lefties to this point. And like, look, it's early in the season. See how things play out. You got to be very cautious with early season numbers. But maximum exit velocity is something that stabilizes really quickly. And also, if you set a new top end for that, like you, you can't argue with that you've demonstrated that you can hit a ball that hard so we can now say that dalton varsho can hit a ball 
that hard. He's been trying to hit pitches as hard as he possibly can his entire career. So it's very interesting to see that he is now like tapped into some previously unlocked potential like it speaks to the growth that he still has the the room for growth in his game and how he could continue to find ways to be better like another thing that's been really interesting to me with Varsho is just the pitches per plate appearance he's seeing 4.7 which is 13th in baseball and third on the blue jays vladimir Guerrero jr is seeing more pitches per plate appearance brandon bell is leading baseball in pitches per plate appearance to this point, 5.38 for Belt. But seeing like Varsho up there in the top 15 across baseball, like very encouraging. Seeing Belt and Varsho in the top 15, I mean, these are new guys to the Blue Jays, guys who have every reason to try to like impress right away and maybe try to do too much. And they are buying into that approach that that I was talking about. And this is what Belt's done like his entire career, but interesting to see far show up there and then if you kind of like zoom out even to like the top 20 across baseball kirk's in there matt chapman's been well above average as he generally has been like i just think that the blue jays are being very patient and selective and um honestly like mature in not getting out of what they believe will provide success over time um and it, it really is only a matter of time before this offense breaks out in a big way yeah you see them down whatever it was seven nothing in the Brios game but they're still chipping away and they're still finding ways to get on base. And that's the best thing you can do if you're down a lot of runs. Um, I, I think the base running too is pretty interesting. You mentioned Kiermaier and that aggressive base running. We saw Vladdy steal third base. Uh, we saw Vladdy kind of pushing down the third baseline with Brandon Belt at the plate, seeing some aggressiveness there from him. That's not a surprise. We've seen that from Vladdy. Kevin Biggio, obviously a base runner who's selectively aggressive and can do some really good things on the bases. So I, I think that as much as I mentioned Kirk and Belt, and you know they're not going to win a lot of base running awards in their lives, but um, they do have some players who are really capable of doing some good things on the bases, and that can help this team as well. Totally. You look at the top sprint speeds that we're seeing to this point, still need a little bit of time for this stuff to stabilize, but through the first four games of data that we have, Kevin Kiermaier, Whit Merrifield, and George Springer leading the way in sprint speed for this team. So to the point that you made on last week's podcast, Blue Jays leading the league in those fast veterans. Those three guys are all uh, at least 33, if not yeah, 34 and older. Uh, and then number four on that sprint speed uh, leaderboard for the Blue Jays to this point, Matt Chapman is going to turn 30 later this week so we haven't even gotten into you know like you said the Biggios or the Bichettes or the the younger players on this team that you would expect to be up there over time as well yeah exactly and and at this point in the season we haven't seen a lot of reps so if someone is not like Bichette for example doesn't register very high on that yet there's still time obviously for that to shift this is small sample but to your point about Varsho and the exit velo if you have a small sample of really good results, that is indicative of something real. If you have a small sample that's kind of more mediocre, well, it's early. You have time to improve on that. But certainly to see Kiermaier moving as well as he is has to be really encouraging for the Chase. Yeah, the Blue Jays wanted to run the bases more aggressively this season. They also wanted to like field a more veteran and experienced roster. Those desires would seem to be in opposition of one another. And yet, the Blue Jays seem to have found the personnel to, to rectify that and to do that. So it's very interesting. It is. Yeah, got to love those. I mean, fast guys at any age are fun. I certainly really enjoy watching Bobby Wood Jr. actually here um, in Kansas City this week. Just blazing speed. But the old fast guys got to appreciate what they're doing as well. 
man, Nicky Lopez as well. Like that guy absolutely burns around the bases. It was a really, really fun game to watch on Tuesday just for a lot of the athleticism that you saw and a lot of what was on display. And looking forward to seeing uh, Yusei Kikuchi's debut here uh, on Tuesday evening, which, uh, yeah, we haven't seen yet. And who knows how that's going to go. But looking forward to seeing that and then recapping that uh, next week. But that's going to be all for us. want to thank our producers, Christian Ryan and Nick Andrade. I want to thank all you for listening. He's Ben. I'm Arden. And we will talk to you next time on At The Letters.